not like all John Beeline. It's about 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Dick Whaley, and the show is Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. And I am Jim Dwyer on this side of the table. Yeehaw. Ann Arbor is going to quiet down for a couple weeks. Students are wrapping up. Final weekends and all that. It's starting to get that manic feel out there of, oh, next week is Christmas. That's right. Yikes. Um, Speaking of which, I've got two books I'll quickly recommend because I've been meaning to do this the last couple of weeks. If you're looking for last-minute gift ideas, there's a new book by Tim Alberta, a Michigan native, uh, called American Carnage on the Front Lines of the Republican Civil War and the Rise of President Trump. Uh, I've not yet dug very deep into this, but it looks like a very insightful overview of something I've been saying for a while now. This whole mess we're in at the moment is largely because of the shattering and uh, complete disarray of the Republican Party, uh, morally and intellectually and spiritually collapsed organization. Yeah, but it still holds a lot of power. Oh, indeed. Yeah, still a, a treacherous, slippery little bastard, uh, as is their want. I mean, they have sort of 
stylized themselves into the party of the dirty trick, uh, writ large. Yeah. Um, uh, dirty pool, you name it. That's the way they want to play it. If they're running uh, the front page of uh, today's Times, the story about, oh, uh, how seriously the census is being taken state to state is actually kind of largely being determined by what which party runs the state. Sure. Republicans aren't interested in a full count. They know they lose by those counts. Well, yeah, although what's interesting, of course, is that some of those states, uh, if they lose representation in Congress, then the— They uh, lose seats. They lose seats in Congress. Usually there's about uh, 10 to 12 congressional seats that switch uh, pretty much from the the Midwest and the Northeast to the Sun Belt, as they put it. Uh, Michigan will probably lose another seat, for instance— and it's interesting how uh, Alyssa Slotkin has sort of uh, garnered national attention for her position on impeachment. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, that is worth mentioning. Uh, the other thing I'll mention real quick, just to double back to my opening salvo of, oh, here's a couple of gift idea books. I say this every four years. I'll say it again because I'll start reading this book soon. Uh, I read Hunter Thompson's Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail, 1972, every presidential cycle, and every time it yields new insights. I really, really strongly believe that this is, I mean, he has a reputation as an out-of-control, dope-fiend madman, and that's part of who he was. But he also had a very keen analytical mind, uh, a real gut instinct for the American political system and how it works. And that's why I think this book stands the test of time as a great description of the grueling nature of the machine monster that is the United States presidential campaign. And he's talking about a set of facts that are over and gone, uh, but the dynamics resurface in, with new faces and names. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, there's lots to be gained from anyone of any age, but especially somebody who might be a first-time voter in 2020. Do yourself a favor and read a real American classic work of literature and political journalism, uh, Hunter S. Thompson's Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail. And dirty tricks are, are part of uh, American politics in many of the last several presidential race races. Uh, we saw some dirty tricks even in the British elections. Um, mm. whose origin of who was behind them uh, is still unclear. Uh, and I mentioned the British elections because, of course, they were kind of a story last week that uh, played second fiddle to the impeachment hearings, but I was more interested in the British elections on well, Thursday. There are some fascinating results. Yeah. And, of course, what's interesting about the British uh, situation is that uh, the very first... Uh, so-called foreign leader that Donald Trump met at Trump Tower after he uh, won the presidency um, unofficially uh, from based on the Supreme uh, Electoral College, they hadn't yet voted, was uh, Nigel Farage. And he has led the UKIP uh, party over the last uh, decade or so. He's not actually in Parliament, but he's part of this Brexit uh, movement uh, in England And everybody was saying after the election that Boris Johnson was the, quote, big winner. And on paper, of course, he was. Um, 
he has a decent margin in the uh, in the new parliament, and he can deal with the problems of Brexit. Oh, that'll be easy. That'll be easy. <laughs> That's right. no problem. That's the whole problem. And yeah. what kind of Brexit? We still don't know. Uh, the British have been debating this for three and a half years. In fact, I heard one guy who ran for parliament in a northern uh, district in the so-called Red Wall area of, of England uh, ran as a third party. He, of course, did not win. Britain has a winner-take-all system. So the conservatives frequently win seats with 38% of the vote. That becomes problematic in a democracy. So, for instance, even though Boris Johnson was, quote, the big winner, the parties that opposed Brexit actually got 52% of the vote mm -hmm. in the national breakdown of the parties. And the parties are what's significant. The one party that was clearly against Brexit were the Liberal Democrats. And they got absolutely shellacked. They only have 11 seats in the upcoming parliament. Five years ago, they were part of the um, coalition government with the conservatives. I don't know if you remember Nicholas Clegg, but he was the vice prime minister, a liberal Democrat. Um, so the liberal Democrats were the only party that was clear. And obviously this election has three or four different components, like all elections. Mm -hmm. uh, Jeremy Corbyn was obviously the wrong man at the wrong time. Uh, he may have been a good opposition leader in terms of articulating a anti-conservative perspective about the austerity measures, the national health um, situation in Great Britain, budget cuts, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but he didn't have a clear position on Brexit. And this is what killed him at the end of the day. And that, of course, is because when you look at the British political map, uh, yes, there are conservatives. Yes, there are labor. But even within those two parties, there's splits in whether or not they should do Brexit. And the bottom line is, despite this referendum back in June of 2016, the previous parliaments have simply not had a majority to approve a Brexit plan. So what Boris Johnson ultimately comes up with is anybody's guess. But the ultimate problem here with unleashing nationalism, which uh, Nick, Nigel Farage is very uh, big on, is that the nationalism that's now being released is Irish nationalism, well, Scottish nationalism. Indeed. So Brexit yeah. may end up not being... Uh, quote, Great Britain leaving the EU, it may be... Leaving themselves. The the collapse of Great Britain. <laughs> exactly. I, I, in my notes here, I've got Boris has sealed his own fate. A split from the EU just might turn out to be a split with the UK. Yeah. The Sinn Féin party sure. picked up seats in Northern Ireland. I'm not sure if people understand how really consequential that is. Um, Ireland... Is not part of the UK. Uh, what we think of as Ireland, uh, the Republic of Ireland, the Catholic part. Um, they're not part of the UK, so they uh, will remain part of the EU, no problem. And now Northern Ireland is like, hey, wait a minute. They're split. Wait a minute. Well, now we're cut off, and these guys down here, they're still hooked up. We want to be hooked up to the EU. Why wouldn't you want to be hooked up to your uh, regional trading partners? Yeah, I mean, and if, it's bizarre on its face, 
in the first place. But uh, Scottish nationalism, they've already voted for it. Yeah. They'll vote for it again. And, of course, Scottish nationalism entails uh, the reason Labour has lost power within Great Britain's parliament. The uh, SNP, I think, is what it's called, the Scottish National Mm -hmm. Party. They've been taking seats from Labour in Scotland, not from the Conservatives. Even when you look at the map of Northern Ireland, which is fascinating, you can see that Sinn Féin is, is... slowly coming up from the south, and that the only union uh, districts left, uh, this would be the uh, Irish Protestant Union. I mean, let's just a reminder, Sinn Féin's political party now it used to be kind of a terror organization, yeah. right? I mean, there are other political parties that have made that transition and transformation. And uh, so the idea that they would really be uh, gaining voters in a part of Ireland, I mean, the the horrible fighting that went on there for years and years, this is a good sign that uh, Irish uh, unification might actually be something to occur in my lifetime. Well, and it might happen because of the uh, the Brexit situation. Indeed. In other words, the... Thank I- you, Boris. The irony is, is that the Union Party of... Uh, Northern Ireland is remain. So staying in the EU may trump staying in the UK. Mm-hmm. And this Protestant Catholic uh, problem. That's old it, news anyway. It's old Nobody news. Nobody really goes to church that much. The Yeah. I mean, if, for, if anybody is thing, doing a great job. Of, uh, they're still pretty religious over there regarding things like abortion. Don't get me wrong. But, yeah. Uh, Although they, they even liberalized that recently. In, indeed they did. But uh, if anybody is uh, bringing about the end of the Christian religion, it's Donald Trump. He's such an adherent of the Ten Commandments. He's so loyal to Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 through 19. You can look it up. (laughs) I ain't no biblical scholar, but uh, I don't think Trump reads the Bible much. And it would be... I don't think he's ever read it. I mean, he's touched it, yeah. but I don't think he's ever held one and opened it and read it. And of course, his famous detail, famous stunt in Iowa, where he he didn't even get the the concept of Corinthians correct, demonstrating that he simply does not attend church. Period. Uh, but anyway, uh, don't count on him swearing on any Bibles and testifying under oath. But but wait a minute, <laughs> he did that. Yeah. Once, right? In public, in front of the biggest audience ever assembled. That was the Constitution, of course. Right. And this is precisely, by the way, the technical language of the impeachment. Um, Articles 1 and 2. One being the abuse of power. One being uh, contempt of the the House that has the, quote, sole power of impeachment. This is about ignoring the subpoenas. Well, let's see what happens with the subpoenas. Trump's problems, even if he, and and he, of course, is going to survive uh, in office, he's not going to be removed by the Senate. Mitch McConnell already announced on the Sean Hannity show, well, that's the plan. Uh, We're just going to shut it down and nothing to it. We're coordinating with the White House. I'll tell you right now. I mean, uh, Gee, uh, they do have to, I, you know, you mentioned an oath a moment yeah. ago. There is an oath that yeah. the Senate takes. 
before they begin the proceeding. And this, by the way, Chuck Schumer has rightly drawn attention to that. And hey, it is a trial. A trial is a thing where evidence is displayed, witnesses are questioned, and people draw the conclusions after that. Oh, Lindsey Graham has made up his mind, so so he's all good. Uh, But what does that mean to swear an oath that says, so help me God, at the end, in which you swear which to faithfully execu- execute uh, the, the uh, and adhere to the Constitution right. against enemies, foreign and domestic. What does that mean to do that yeah. and say that and yet announce in advance your refusal to abide by such an oath? I, that's, again, what I said at the beginning about the moral and intellectual collapse of the Republican Party. It's not there anymore. Yeah, and just a couple of weeks ago, for instance, Trump uh, was talking about the, quote, phony emoluments clause. Well, the emoluments clause is actually in the Constitution. It's it's for real. Not once, but twice. It's in Article 1, and it's in Article 2. Uh, Of course, Trump isn't being impeached on emoluments, uh, but he could be. He could have been. There could have been another dozen, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) So, you know, they selected two of them. And by the way, during the Watergate uh, impeachment uh, articles that were were written up by the House Judiciary Committee in uh, 1974, um, failure to comply with subpoenas was Article 3 of the three out of four that passed uh, the impeachment uh, hearings in the House Judiciary Committee. That um, article, by the way, got the fewest votes, but it did pass the Judiciary Committee. Of course, by that point, uh, Richard Nixon had decided uh, on the advice of counsel, uh, in this case, Alexander Haig. Uh, Alexander Haig uh, wrote out Nixon's resignation letter. Um And by the way, if you want to see a fascinating document of historical magnitude, go up to the Ford Library sometime. I go up there. uh, Right here in town. Right here in town to to hear uh, monthly political talks. Uh, They they feature uh, historians talking about the presidency in general, past presidents, and or Gerald Ford in particular, and, of course, a couple of years ago, they had a number of talks about Richard Nixon. But there is an amazing article signed by Henry Kissinger um, regarding the Nixon resignation hmm. um, that that he uh, basically it's just a fascinating article. And it's in the display cases up there. It's it's and they rotate those around. So I don't know if it's up there currently, but I've seen this document. I don't know if it's, it's ever a been, remarkable document. I don't know if it's ever been proved, and I don't know if you could even prove it. But Hunter Thompson <laughs> postulates in another book, uh, not the Campaign Trail book, <laughs> that the real reason that Nixon decided to resign, he was willing to fight it out till the end, even though he knew he'd probably lose. Just I didn't want to be a quitter, didn't want to be a loser. But the real reason he chose to resign was that if he had been. Voted, uh, the Senate had voted to remove him, he would have lost his pension, uh, his uh, security coverage. Uh, he would have lost a lot of money. Well, and, and uh, the, you know, the security that it would provide for his 
elder years. And in, and in fact, the actual article of impeachment states that if the president is convicted, he loses yeah. all privileges. All privileges. Period. He's not allowed to hold any more offices. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not allowed to accept titles of nobility and, or any of that other stuff. That's actually in the impeachment in the United States Constitution. Now, it only applies if the president is convicted, convicted in, the Senate. in the Senate. And that's not going to happen. But you would think if the, ever there was an argument to get rid of Trump <laughs> and, and somebody was a really brilliant negotiator that could... Well, we roll with Pence for a few months. That's right. Get somebody else in there if we need to in November. It could happen. And, and how interesting totally that, that Congressman Cohen from Tennessee... Uh, used an argument that I've pointed out a couple of times over the last month, that this is not a coup d'etat. Mike Pence would take over. And he even said, well, Mike Pence might be worse on some things. Uh, Things may actually be more conservative under Mike Pence. They might be a little bit better uh, because he's a little friendlier. Stability-wise. And and not so obnoxious, and he doesn't (laughs) uh, have a Twitter uh, tweet uh, fit. I mean, 123 tweets attacking a 16-year-old girl. Well, yeah, over a snooty. No, I should have gotten the, the cubby story. Right, exactly. What a and, baby. and then baby bullying. Uh, no sign of Ivanka Trump on any of the cyber bullying perpetrated by uh, <clears throat> President Trump. Um. He, of course, a couple of weeks ago, welcomed a trial. Uh, I wonder if he's going to allow those witnesses to be called, because, of course, Chuck Schumer is now uh, pretty much holding the position that John Bolton, Mike Pompeo, uh, Nick Mulvaney. Well, and consider this have to be called. Let's say that they rattle through a trial in the Senate, whatever the structure of it is in January is the plan. And I don't know when the judge is scheduled to make a final determination on uh, Bolton says, oh, I'm waiting for a court to determine that I must uh, uh, appear before um, and testify uh, a congressional gathering. So is his barber. His mustache. (laughs) His mustache has his own lawyer. I want a separate lawyer. His mustache needs a little trimming. So let's say in January there's not enough Republican senators with uh, any decency left in the marrow of their bones to contemplate, well, yeah, this is uh, pretty egregious, uh, and Trump survives a vote in the Senate. And then the information comes out later when Bolton says, oh, well, now I'm going to testify. And here's the drug deal, as I described it. And by then, the Giuliani trial will be further along. All these Republican senators who vote to acquit are going to look like they've got fecal matter spattered all up and down their front sides. Yeah. And, and they'll a- deserve it because there's going to be some weird stuff coming out of the Giuliani trials. Well, you certainly. can be sure. Uh, um, you know, Lev Parnas uh, apparently is very angry at Donald Trump because Trump kind of said he didn't know him. Uh, but Lef- we are good friends in many photos. Love Parnas, of course, gave generously to the Trump inaugural committee and apparently the RNC. And he's also been photographed with Giuliani repeatedly, including attending the funeral of George H. 
W. Bush. Donald Trump wasn't in that picture. Uh, he wasn't allowed to be there uh, by the request of the Bush family uh, because of, well, it's obvious what that was all about. But more problems for Donald Trump. I mean, if anybody thinks this is going away oh, uh, right. or there's yeah. going to be, quote, closure, if I hear anybody talk about that, I'll advise them to go see a uh, psychiatrist because there isn't going to be any closure. Uh, the Supreme Court last week has now agreed to hear the financial questions involving Trump. There is another one. Trump has run out of appeals. Yeah. And what happens? That shoe will drop. On June 30th, because I'm sure that will be the last decision they make, what happens if the financial documents have to be turned over by Deutsche Bank and the accounting firm? What happens if the financial records of Donald J. Trump show extensive financial connections with not only Ukrainian oligarchs, but Russian oligarchs? And golly, what are the chances that that's going to be true? It seemed pretty high. What could go wrong? Well, we know for a fact, by the way, that Jared Kushner met with Ambassador Kislyak in December of 2016 after the Donald had been elected uh, and was still uh, in his, quote, transition period, encouraging a back channel uh, to, to Russia. And what that's all about this through this through the Russian embassy. We needed to go through the Russian embassy. We need a back channel. Of course, what happened to the back channel? Well, it had to be canceled. Uh, the media leaked out uh, the Steele dossier and other things. And by the way, we had the Horowitz report last week. In, yeah, indeed. Another big, important event. And while it's quite clear that uh, there were members of the FBI that were sloppy, incompetent, um, and all that, Horowitz found no political bias. And, oh, by the way, Lisa Page is suing the Justice Department. Um, this, of course, is not to be confused with Carter Page. Well, what do we know about Carter Page? We know that he was hired by uh, the Trump campaign as a, quote, top foreign policy advisor in March of 2016, shortly after Trump wrapped up the... Um, um, the nomination, basically. Well, then Carter Page began running around Europe meeting Russian spies. He went to Russia in early July, met with some Russian, two Russian spies. What was discussed, we don't know. But what we do know is that Carter Page was, after reports surfaced in Yahoo!, Carter Page was dumped by the Trump campaign. He'd served his purpose. He had obviously conveyed information to Roger Stone and or Paul Manafort. That's why Trump on the 27th of July said, Russia, are you listening? Frankly, I think that the uh, articles of impeachment need to be translated into Russian. So maybe some of the United States senators can figure out what's in the report. <laughs> Indeed. Because it's remarkable stuff. Carter Page's FISA warrant, by the way, played no role in the 2016 campaign. 
Uh, the Steele dossier played no role. The Steele dossier was leaked to the media in January of 2017, and BuzzFeed decided to publish it. The Steele dossier was given to John McCain, who gave it to the FBI. So all of this sloppy investigation stuff does not diminish the Steele dossier in any way, shape, or form. The Steele dossier, by uh, Steele's own admission, was raw intelligence. He was writing out memos about what his sources were telling him about what was going on between these connections between the Trump campaign and Russia. Hundreds of them. A meeting in Trump Tower with Paul Manafort, Don Jr., who's on a book tour, thanks to the RNC. You know, they they bought up 100,000 copies to make it look like he's a bestseller. Well, then he goes wild goat hunting in the middle of nowhere, hunting endangered species. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. You couldn't write a character who was so uh, unaware. Yeah. So, of course, you know, and this, I'll just read this paragraph here uh, about uh, Carter Page. Because there's a talking point out now that he was greatly wronged by the FBI and or uh, the Clinton campaign. Well, it never happened. Page's career, and I'm reading here from Luke Harding's uh, book, Collusion, Page's career as a Trump advisor was entering a terminal phase. His speech in Moscow, which was in July, had provoked comment, much of it adverse. The campaign's ties with Russia were becoming a source of controversy. The Washington Post wrote, Page wrote policy memos and attended three dinners in Washington for Trump's foreign advisory team. He sat in on meetings with Trump. Apparently, his Trump's to, to, uh, attempts to meet Trump individually failed. In the classified briefing to congressional leaders in late August, Page's name f- figured prominently. The CIA and FBI were sorting through mounds of intercepted material feature- featuring Page, much of it Russians talking to Russians. Uh, when Senate Minority Leader Harry Reid wrote to James Comey in early fall, he cited the disturbing contacts between a Trump advisor and high-ranking sanctioned individuals. That was Carter Page and Sachin. These embarrassing details surfaced in a report by Yahoo News. Within hours, the Trump campaign had disavowed Page, casting him out as a nobody who had exaggerated his links to Trump. Trump uh, Page exited the campaign in late September, it was an inglorious end, and his troubles were just beginning. Well, of course they were. The FBI went to the FISA court in October. What's Trump's main alibi been repeatedly? I don't know that person. <laughs> well, we know our engineer, Andrew. Uh, just to remind you, you are listening to WCBN FM and Arbor, and we thank Andrew for engineering this evening. Before we go, real quick, I, this was something I wanted to mention last week. The bizarre announcement just out of the blue from Trump that he was concerned about water pressure and toilet flushes. Uh-oh. Did you, did you catch that one? No. Is it he was on another bizarre. butter? It was some sort of 
Yeah, it's just like, uh, hello, where is this coming from? I don't even know what he was supposed to be talking about, but he goes off on this tangent about water pressure and how people have to flush the toilet 10 to 15 times. I don't know about that. I know the White House is an older 